No Small Jobs, the podcast. I am your host, Paul Newen. Thanks for joining us for another episode. As always, please remember that if you like us, spread the word. Share your love on our social media sites. We've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Still don't know how to use it very well, but hey, I'm using it anyway. Um, and we also have a website, nosmalljobspod.com.au, where we post up the episodes. Should you not have a podcast app that you use, you can always get it up from SoundCloud as well. But on the website, there's bonus content. We have forums. We have uh, reflections and personal thoughts about what um, how I uh, about things that came up in my mind after the um, after the recording of the podcast. So feel free to check it out, and that's how you learn more about me. Uh, so today, our guest is Jen. Jen is a principal lawyer. Hi, Jen. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. I uh, appreciate the, you volunteering to talk about your job. Um, My pleasure. We're, we're going we're gonna to start uh, chronologically here. What brought you to the field of law? So I guess after sort of six years of law school, um, one wonders which direction <laughs> one should take. So I took quite an unconventional uh, pathway finishing law school. So back when I finished, most people would go into what's called articles of clerkship. That's a placement and a job at a particular firm um, where you do your training and then you become a qualified lawyer. So at the time, I landed a quite a large project actually looking into sort of different aspects of mediation and dispute resolution. So I went straight into that whilst I qualified uh, in postgraduate uh, studies. And then after that, having done a lot of alternative dispute resolution work, I actually went and worked for a judge as a judge's associate. So I was sort of landing on the other side of the um, the sort of the environment, so to say, and to see it from a different perspective. And I thought, well, litigation's pretty exciting and interesting. Um, but at that stage, I still wasn't quite sure which direction I would take. I sort of worked a lot of in the commercial field and a lot in the appeals division. Um, that was when I then headed overseas and did some international project work in legal aid type uh, postings where we looked at how to build capacity of uh, local universities and um, it w and helped them create sort of legal aid postings where students could uh, go and volunteer their time to help the community. So more and more I sort of became very much involved in the community legal sector and thought this is for me. So that's where I am today. Let's uh, let's go all the way back um, to well, let's even back. So so let's talk about high school times. So why? Ah, choose, okay. Yeah, let's let's get even further back because I, I obviously sure. that I mean that's a, that was a good summary and it obviously gives us a bit of a framework about what we're going to work on for the rest of the conversation. But um, let's get let's go back to law, to high school. So why law? Why law and not some other profession? That's a very good question. I actually had no idea what I wanted to do finishing high school. I desperately wanted to be a musician. Oh, <laughs> what thought, kind of musician? Yes, I very much wanted to be a musician, but 
it's very, very difficult to be a very good musician. I wanted to be a orchestral musician and there's not many posting for that. You sort of have to be the the top of the top mm. to land things like that. So and to sort of get into the top conservatories around the world. Um, whilst I had an immense passion for music and really enjoyed it, wasn't quite sure if I would be able to get a job <laughs> after finishing music. Uh, my godfather, actually, at the time, was having a chat to him and he said, well, why don't you give law a try? And I thought, hey, haven't really thought about that. Okay, then. I was always sort of into more of the arts, not so much the sciences and the maths. Wasn't too good at that. Mm. So I thought, all right, that, that sounds like a good thing to try out. And I, I guess obviously it's, it was fortuitous that, you know, you had the aptitude to, uh, I mean, it's obviously very different skills, the skill of um, uh, law and this, the art of playing music, you know, it, it was quite for, lucky for you that you were able, you could just kind of go, yeah, all right, let's just pick this up and see how we go. I mean, what was, yeah, I was very lucky what, in what, that what, respect. What exactly fascinated you about the law? I, th- I, I think a lot of... Um, early year and high school students will say this you know you see a lot of drama on tv and i guess the performance side of things with having done a lot of music that's quite appeal to me just (laughs) commanding the courtroom and things like that Mm. um of course things look very different now so (laughs) that was quite attractive (laughs) and quite glamorous and quite exciting Mm. um and also to be sort of dealing with people so i wasn't one of those law students who was very into criminal law. In fact, um, after getting into law, that's one of the first subjects you have to study. And I just, I was very much disinterested in criminal law. So I thought, well, what what happened to all the glamour? What happened to all the courtroom drama? So (laughs) I quickly Mm -hmm. had to find something else. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, as you said, your your first... Job out of law school was a, a project. Can you tell us much about the project? Uh, it was at the time uh, the general idea was to explore. Um, I'm, I'm mainly in sort of the family law area, so the law at the time wanted to explore different ways of resolving disputes without always ending up in the courtroom, which is a very sensible. Mm. Um, direction to take. So the government was funding a lot of projects back then um, for people to explore different ideas of alternative dispute resolution. So I sort of travelled around a bit and looked at how different centres and different models worked in supporting families uh, through separation and coming to sort of arrangements that would, I mean, in this world, a lot of the times it's not a win-win situation, but sort of finding the best way to support families through this post-separation difficult times. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed working with different people and sort of working out what the big picture is. How can we, how can we make this process a much more user-friendly and uh, better time for people? Okay. And so, I'm, look, I'm going to plead a bit of ignorance and maybe hopefully facilitate other people who don't understand. So, when, what, what is the difference between a barrister and a solicitor? 
Oh, that's a very good question. Um, so barristers traditionally are the ones who get to wear the cool gowns and wigs and they're in court. Um, they're standing in front of everybody and presenting the case. Mm -hmm. And the solicitor's sort of the one in the background doing all the paperwork, buried <laughs> in paperwork, um, <laughs> preparing the clients and running around, um, doing all the research, reading all the cases. Um, yes, yeah, so doing a lot of the back end, if you will, back, back end of the work. And so this this project that you had looking into family mediation, mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. is that the purview of a solicitor or a barrister? Yes, as a solicitor. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so so was that is that the path you chose as well? Was because as you said, you know, a lot of the the initial thing that attracted you when you were much younger was the the grandstanding and the performing part of mm -hmm. of law, but then. Did, you know, is being a solicitor, was that the thing you ended up pursuing and for why? Yes, indeed. Um, I also realised, probably a bit strange sounding, but I love paperwork. <laughs> I love <laughs> well, <laughs> Most we, people well, don't. Well, no, we need people who love paperwork because otherwise it would just never get done. That's right. So, um, and I, I really enjoy being... Um, highly organized and knowing the all the aspects of the cases and also being able to deal with forming that um uh dealing with the clients directly and helping them through all the processes whereas a lot of the times um barrister would jump in uh you know a few days before court and be doing all the presenting inside the courtroom but it's the solicitors that are sort of working with the clients on an ongoing basis so to speak so i enjoyed being able to support people through that entire process which sometimes can take a very very long time of course i mean navigating the legal system but also trying to manage uh disputes in and of itself i mean that's that's counseling yeah. that's therapy basically and that that kind of stuff is never simple or short that's so right that, that's fair um, and again, a, a bit of uh, legal ignorance here. Can you be both? Can you be a barrister and a solicitor? Yes, you can. You can be both. Um, and a lot of people sort of uh, practice in both. So some states allow you to uh, be able to stand up in the courtroom uh, and, um, and sort of be solicitor advocates, so to speak. Um, but I think the the difference is as a barrister, you go through the training, you've got the mentorship of senior barristers and you craft that art, so to speak. You're in court all the time, you get to learn your environment um, and I think it's a really fine art, that advocacy skill, uh, whereas solicitors might not be as well versed in all the sort of subtleties of uh, different dynamics in the work uh, in the courtroom, so to speak. Uh, so I think um, they do they they are quite distinct skills, but a lot of people do enjoy doing both. So if you're sort of working at a place which um, gives you that opportunity to be able to do that, so I was lucky enough to have worked at a few workplaces that a lot of the times you are doing work as a duty solicitor at various courts. So that's where um, we would be rostered on to attend a particular court 
and we won't quite know who's coming through so whoever isn't represented that day would be able to come and speak to us and we would be able to, um, if appropriate, stand up and represent them and give them a voice. Okay. Um, so, all right. And so then, as you said, so you did the project and then you, the next part of your career was overseas. No, so it was the judge's associateship. Was that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so again, let's, let's go back to basics here. What is a judge's associate? So, a judge's associate is uh, often one or two people working very closely with a judge in a particular jurisdiction. Um, that really, so you're, you're in the courtrooms, you may be announcing the cases, you're doing research uh, for your judges, you are um, liaising, uh, so the logistics person to make everything happen, make everything go smoothly. You manage exhibits. Um, and generally help out your judges with a lot of, like I said before, research and um, and supporting them in their very, very busy and hectic roles. Uh, so I worked for a couple of years in that, in that capacity and learned a lot. It, it's actually fascinating being able to see fantastic advocates, fantastic barristers in front of you and and see how they present um, different cases and how they sort of examine witnesses um, to sort of watch all of that unfold in the courtroom. Um, from, from uh, uh, I guess, more the, the judge perspective, as you said, you know, mm -hmm. you um, uh, seeing it from the other side of the, yeah. of the, of the, 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 the panel, I guess, as it were, um, you learned, was there anything particular learned about, uh, you know, being a judge or the life of a judge? It can be quite a isolating and lonely existence, I think. Um, it, the, the pressure is enormous, absolutely enormous. The caseloads are very, very high. And some of the matters that come through are extremely complex. Um, and with the exception of maybe sitting on a bigger panel and say being in the Court of Appeal or something like that, you're mostly um, carrying the weight of uh, those matters yourself. So I think it's, 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 it's pretty intense and um, uh, the sort of, yeah, the weight of those decisions all rest on their shoulders. So I think it's an enormous responsibility and um, quite a privilege to be in that uh, position, I think. Mm. Did, um, did your experience as a judge's associate inform you in terms of what you wanted for your career? I think so. I think, um, well, for a few years I thought I would definitely become a barrister and uh, jury's still out on that. I'm not quite sure <laughs> if I'm headed towards that direction at this point in time. But, um, yes, it did. It's... it's going way back to the sort of what you, we were talking about before following high school and to see all that excitement that happens in a courtroom and sort of sort of um, once you've made a very convincing sort of presentation and argument and how that's received, it's all very exciting. But I thought um, I wanted to put in a few more years as a solicitor first because, again, I'm quite detail orientated and paperwork orientated so I wanted and I also was just very fascinated to learn 
a lot more about the law itself. So we practiced, oh, my, my judges were in different jurisdictions, so I learned a lot. I was exposed to a lot of different types of law. So I thought I wanted to just explore a few more years before sort of set, settling down to whether I'm going to do one or the other. Okay, and, and is that still the case now, or have you, uh, are you like, what, what, what would influence your decision at this point? Yeah, I think I'm a lot more settled now. I really love what I do um, as a community lawyer, and I, um, yeah, I, re- I really like having sort of that ongoing uh, contact with uh, clients and the cases and, um, uh, doing that everyday sort of work is because I mean the pressure is actually quite huge for barristers. You sometimes the the way it works is they get work from solicitors mostly, so solicitors will give the barristers what what we call a brief. So that sets out everything about the case and all the supporting um, evidence. And it's the barrister's job to sort of craft the argument and sort of guide the, advise the client accordingly as to what might happen in court and and what needs to be done. So the pressure is quite huge and things can change very quickly if um, your solicitor sort of doesn't give you enough time to prepare for cases. It can be quite stressful. So I thought for the time being I really enjoy uh, working as a solicitor, so might just do a few more years of that. So uh, let's so we've, so after the judge associateship, as you said, mm. you you worked uh, overseas in in the field of community law. Was that, is that yes. right? So let's let's, yeah. let's clarify. So what is community law? Uh, so all around Australia, we've got sort of we've got two different types. We've got community legal centres and legal aid. Um, that's essentially where people can go and see somebody and it's usually free. So a lot of the times with people, it's uh, the, f- the first point of contact and and um, uh, quite an easy access to legal advice in quite a timely manner. So in community law, we see a lot of family law, a lot of criminal law, a lot of what we call generalist laws, so a lot of fines matters, um, neighbourhood disputes, uh, motor vehicle accidents. That's generally what we're talking about with community law. Okay. And um, what drew you to community law? I think um, to be able to give people a voice, I've worked with a lot of migrants, new arrivals, refugees, um, people who have a number of barriers in accessing your traditionally sort of paid lawyers. And to me, to even be able to make a tiny bit of difference for just one person when they're dealing with a lot of different things that's quite difficult in their life um, was really quite rewarding for me and sort of gave meaning to why I finished law in the first place. Um, Because a lot of people say, you know, I want to do something to help people and community law, to me personally, that really you could really see the fruits of your labour in being able to just make even a tiny bit of difference 
to somebody's life and help them through a difficult time. So that just really drew me to the community aspect of it. And um, well, of course, you know, you are not allowed to talk about the details of cases. Mm. Um, talk us through a typical day for you in, uh, in the field of community law. How, how intense is it? What are the hours like? That sort of thing. Oh, great question. Um, I'm a bit of a workaholic, <laughs> so I very much like to start early before um, everyone else sort of gets into the office. I like my quiet time in the mornings to just have a look overall what's happening, any deadlines coming up, any court dates, um, anything that uh, needs to be filed. Um, so I like to get a good overview of all of that uh, before my day really starts, whether it's client appointments or actually attending court or um, uh, supporting our paralegals or volunteers throughout, throughout the day. Um, and that's about it. Some days it can be quite late, um, but you know we're we're all trying striving for work life balance so so um I'm learning a bit more to sort of not get too carried away uh but the other beauty with a day in a community law is you might um be invited to sort of present seminars and sessions to say community groups that might have particular issues that that particular uh, community might face. So you've got a lot of that contact and um, that community ed education aspect of things as well. Um, and I guess that that's the other part of your, the other aspect that you've also gotten your, um, your wheelhouse as well, isn't it? You also are an, mm. an educator uh, for law students as well as part of the community education. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, I, um, yeah, I, Back back in back when I was a student, I sort of was very blessed in, in having a lot of different types of mentors and um, uh, and people that I could model my behaviours on, like how, what sort of lawyer lawyer I wanted to be. Um, so I thought um, I, I really really enjoyed that aspect of it all throughout law school, and thought I want to make a contribution back to university students or people sort of thinking about going into the law because I really very much benefited from those types of uh, relationships and opportunities to ask my stupid questions <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> be mentored and guided through all of that. So that's um, a big part of my job now as well. And did you seek out that or was that an opportunistic thing? Um, I sort of landed in it to start with, um, I was very lucky because at the time my university had uh, sort of uh, partnerships with legal centres to give us opportunities to learn from community lawyers. So that's how it all started and, and once I did that I sort of just never left and I would say it probably changed the course of my um, law degree at a point where I really thought, well, is this really for me? Which you know, which direction exactly will I be taking after law school? And that was when it really cemented for me to say, "Hey, this is the community law is for me." And um, having this sort of safe learning environment um, was really, really quite beneficial and very valuable to me. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm hoping to be giving back <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, work-life balance. From mm. your experience, even though, yes, by, by obviously... Um, I'm sure your your employer is quite grateful to have you a workaholic person who likes details and paperwork around. That's obviously <laughs> you'd be uh, uh, a great commodity. I'm sure. Do you think that there is a a culture of expectation that as a community lawyer you have to work uh, you know quite extensive hours? I think it's more of a uh, personality thing. I think a lot of lawyers, a lot of people who go into law. Um, probably are perfectionists to start with. Mm. So I see a lot of my colleagues doing the same thing. Um, but there is a big push in the legal industry overall for sort of well-being and looking after yourself and um, guarding yourself from vicarious trauma and things like that. Mm. Um, so I, I think the answer is no. I mean, compared to... Um, your traditional private law firms where the hours are just quite horrendous and it is absolutely expected. I'm also very lucky to be at a workplace where um, people want to model good uh, good and safe work practices mm. um, and sort of pass that on to the younger and upcoming generation of uh, lawyers. So, so no, I think a lot of those expectations are self-imposed in a way. Um, and uh, overall in the industry, it's quite a supportive industry um, for well-being. Are you talking about community law specifically? Or, yes, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. 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 And look, and that, I guess that's the thing, you know, certainly... Um, I mean, in, in the medical profession, I mean, that's, that's certainly mm. something they're trying to push as well. But the reality is whether or there's – there's a vast difference between what people intend to do and what the reality of it is. You know, in, sure, in medicine, right. particularly uh, in hospital medicine, they, they talk about work-life balance and well-being. Mm. But at the end of the day, a hospital needs to be staffed 24 hours a day. That's right. um, and there is only – there are only finite amounts that can happen uh, – uh, uh, there's a there's a limited amount of leeway that can be given in order to mm. accommodate these sorts of things, and so right. I, I guess you know it's 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 yeah it's it's very different. This saying saying something versus doing something. I mean that that's just mm. a general concept, but I guess looking at I mean do you, looking at the other side of it, so looking at uh, yeah private law firms and whatnot. Do you feel that there, even though there, there's an overall, there might be an overall push for work-life balance, do you think that there it's actually being achieved? I think there's probably some way to go yet. Mm. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what yeah. is the motivation behind behind the idea of working those extensive hours? Is it, is it generally well, just money? That's definitely a big part of it, I think. But I think with globalisation, a lot of these big private law firms are working on a lot of international matters. Um, so you've got the problems of, you know, uh, time difference, expectation in other jurisdictions. So other countries might be pushing for something if your clients are overseas. Um, so I think there are a lot of factors um, driving those types of hours for private firms. Uh, did that factor in to your uh, your decision to move into community law or to, to stick yeah, with community absolutely. law? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think at the end of the day, I'm still 
quite a creative type, so I'm still sort of dabbling in music and <laughs> I um, enjoy having time with family and friends. So, and I sort of have seen a lot of my colleagues go through the private law sort of sector. I mean, I, I still encourage volunteers and students now, if that's the way they want to go, you, they've got to give it a, give it a try and see if it's for them. But a lot of the problem are people will burn out quite quickly because working those sort of hours is just not very sustainable mm. in the long run. Um, so I'm hoping, I haven't looked at this recently, but I'm hoping the statistics are slowly changing. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, I'm not seeing so much of that um, where my friends and colleagues are. It's still, there's still quite a heavy demand um, for their time and sort of that work comes first kind of mentality. And I guess, you know, in order for, um, in order for change to, to occur, there it, it has to be an overall cultural change. It's one thing to say something Absolutely. should happen, but um, it has to be supported by, inf- by the infrastructure of the, of the organization and by, uh, by management. And I guess that, that, that's tricky. Um, <sighs> and a lot of it has to do with how sort of legal services are uh, costed and built in a way. Um, so a lot of people may have heard of this, but a lot of places are still charging clients on six-minute increments. Mm. Um, so, so a lot of for a lot of young lawyers, they're expected to uh, work a certain number of hours, and and they have to hit those targets, and that's all counted sort of in six-minute blocks. And um, I've never been subjected to that, so but looking at it from the outside, it's it can be quite stressful and quite frightening because a lot of hours will need to be put into to be able to justify the time that your firm expects you to work. Mm. I mean, when um, talking about the idea of job satisfaction, what mm-hmm. what were key factors for you? I mean, again, we've talked about the idea of um, the hours and whatnot. Were there, are there any other things that were you had to sort of consider when uh, yeah, anything that's important to you in terms of achieving job satisfaction? Um, definitely. I think, again, I think this, uh, hopefully I've been consistent in saying this, but I, it's really important to me to actually, when you say I want to help someone, you actually do hopefully make a positive <laughs> contribution to their life in sort of resolving just one little aspect of things that might be going on in their lives. So to me, um, to see somebody, to, to, see, to see the relief when a matter is solved um, really makes me feel like I've done something <laughs> in my day. Um, and also that mentorship for me when volunteers and paralegals sort of have the opportunity to grow into the lawyers that they want to be and share that journey with me um, really makes me feel like I'm making a difference and being able to contribute. The third thing for community lawyers is we are in a privileged position to sort of make a lot of changes. So a lot of uh, groups in the sector would might, might look at some problematic areas of law and through our combined voices, that can affect changes in the law, changes in legislation, changes in policy. 
Um, so it's just, it, it, it's a big uh, global sort of picture and global effort to hopefully make it slightly less awful for people going through these processes, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess on that, do you have grander ambitions for, for your life and your career? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I tend to sort of like to take it as it comes, one day at a time. Um, I've probably, I mean, I've probably changed directions many times and that's the beauty of it and I've been very blessed to be able to do do that throughout my career so far. Um, who knows? Maybe one day some form of change to policy and legislation would be great. <laughs> Is it, is it, how is it pivoting your career? As you said, you know, uh, so, so again, let, let me, let me, let me uh, clarify. So, so my, my mm-hmm. frame of reference is always medicine and within yes, medicine, right. it is, uh, it is an investment. It is a time and an energy investment to choose a specialty and to switch mm-hmm. specialties. I, I, I never went through it myself, but watching other people go through it, um, it's yeah. a big deal because you, you feel like you invest all this time and energy into one particular choice. And uh, when, when for whatever reason it doesn't work out, whether the jobs aren't there, whether you're life priorities change, um, whether you burn out and just lose that job satisfaction. Um, sure, making yeah. that shift can be quite tricky. Is is that how it works in the law as well? Um, I can only speak about it from, I think, the community law perspective. Um, the advantage of sort of being in the community space is there are a lot of sort of sideway steps that you could take so a lot of policy work and I mean they sort of say law nowadays is a bit more of a generous generalist degree right (laughs) I'm not going to say whether I agree with it or not but Mm. I think it does working in sort of this environment does um lead can and can lead to a lot of other different roles in whether it's in education whether it's in policy in government work um so for me and my colleagues and my friends, um, there's a lot of different ways we can contribute to the law if even one day we aren't lawyers, strictly speaking. Um, so a lot of my colleagues have moved into um, yeah, working within government departments and sort of in, uh, informing and helping research uh, different ways of improving particular areas of law or advocating for rights of particular groups of people. Um, so I think there's a lot of flexibility within this area of sort of community and legal aid law. What would make you want to switch jobs? I mean, would you wait? Uh, you know, working community mm. law, I imagine, as 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 fulfilling as obviously it does seem to be for you, I imagine there mm. must be some some difficult days as well. Mm. Would mm. you wait till you burn out, or would you would you sort of seek the opportunities when you can? If somebody offered me an orchestral job, I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, look, I am very, very lucky to be in a position right now, which um, uh, alt- at, at the moment I'm very much in my dream job. 
um, after all these years of looking at different things and ways to combine my passions and my motivations, I'm very much in a very happy place at the moment with a very supportive uh, team that sort of is very focused on work-life balance. Um, so, f and and my work is my work can evolve into different things if, like I said before, if there's anything in particular that's problematic um, with the law, that's the beauty of community law to be able to take action and, and um, advocate for different aspects in different areas. So for me, yeah, like I said, unless somebody offers me an orchestral job, I'm very happy where I am. Which which is great. And and, and listeners of this podcast will know and because I've, I've said this a number of times. I um I don't know what that feels like. Or no, I no that's that's a lie. I, I haven't I never knew what that felt like till till very recently because mm -hmm. I I entered into my job uh, almost almost like I was sleepwalking. I, I kind of yeah. I kind of got into GP and um, mm. and just because that's what everyone told me I was going to do, and by everyone I mean my parents. And <laughs> um, and then and then one day I got a different job working at a different center, doing still doing medical work. And yes. it's like I suddenly woke up and thought, oh my god, this is this is what it's like to love your job. This is so bizarre. I, yep, I, it, yep. I, I don't, I don't think, I think I've always only ever tolerated my job. I found ways to make mm -hmm. it work and I found ways to, to, to try and make it suitable for me. But ultimately sure. at, at its core, I guess I wasn't particularly happy. Um, and so leading on from that, you know, you, you jokingly say that if you got an, off an orchestral job, you, you'd take it. I, do you, do you ever regret not pursuing that more, more, not seriously, but more, more dedicatedly, I guess? Um, some days, but I think, I mean, there are a lot of problems with, with the, the um, fantastic dream of being an orchestral musician as well. You, you lose all your weekends, you lose all your evenings. So, I mean, that being aside, sometimes when um, I'm watching and listening to particular performances, I'm thinking, you know, I wish I could be playing, I wish I could be doing that. But I think a lot of it is... Um, You've got, you've got to have – this might sound really pessimistic, but I think for certain and, – and, and that's what you were saying before, you found something you really love. And so just because I really loved music, it didn't possibly – it didn't necessarily mean it was ever going to work out. So I don't know how far do you take it, how many years would it take. It's, music is another one of those things where I think – there's never it's it's never really perfect so you can work and work and work you can practice for hours on end and it's just not quite uh, perfect in a way so I didn't sort of want to lose the enjoyment that I have for music and playing music and and I sort of actually dropped that dropped music after university for a few years because I think I was quite burnt out I practiced a lot and and I don't regret that because now I'm back playing um, just for enjoyment. It's brought a lot of joy back into my life and to be able to connect with people in a lot of different ways, to be playing in chamber groups, to be doing different sort of performances and to be able to enjoy music again without all the stress that sort of came with it in preparing for performances. Mm. So, so sometimes yes, but not enough to say I wish I had done things completely differently. 
15 years ago. Is there a, a number of the, the previous guests have found ways, and you, you found it as well, have found ways to combine um, their various passions into the one job? Yes. Like one, of a, one of the recent ones uh, is a graphic designer and librarian and has managed to make that work. Is there That's a way fantastic. to incorporate music into your legal work? Yes, yes. Um, so I'm involved in various different groups nowadays um, with other fellow music-loving legal minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I perform semi-regularly, if you will, um, with different with uh, different colleagues in sort of different ensembles, which is absolutely amazing. But that's only come back into my life since I've settled a bit more in my career as well. That's not to say it, can't, it couldn't have worked in the earlier days, but I found it really, really hard um, in the first few years of establishing a career. Uh, nowadays, it's a lot easier. And I think you sort of let let that go a little bit as well to go, you know, I can't, it's, it's just because it isn't perfect. I haven't practiced, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. So I think my mind shift, my mind has, um, my attitude towards it has shifted as well. Mm-hmm. And to as, bring that enjoyment back. Absolutely. And as as you were saying, you know, it, I guess it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Because I, 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 I do some. So, so my my side project passion is is writing. I, I enjoy yeah. writing a great deal, and I've. You're I've, a very talented writer. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but I recently, um, I recently uh, decided that I wanted to try screenwriting. I wanted to try um, writing for TV because I, I love TV. TV's always been yes. my passion. But I guess like you, I'd never. I'd never thought to make it a thing. You know, it never mm-hmm. seemed, this sounds terrible. It never seemed like a real job. Um, yep. it, it always seemed like a, like the, the fantasy you chase. And, mm-hmm. um, but, but at what I'm, what I'm currently, I'm currently going through, a, through a bit of a career change and a, a reevaluation of my mindset. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. if I choose to pursue screenwriting, will yep. it ruin it? Will it, will turning my passion into a job make it a, make it the thing I hate? And I, like, I, I worry about that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. It, I, I guess you've, you've managed a, a music being somewhat different in that you are, you are creating with every, with every performance you are creating. Like it's not a requirement yes. that someone's listening in order for you to create music. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess you've, you found a way to. Um, as you said, you know, change what you, you're getting out of it. That That's right. Yeah. Because um, it obviously sets your expectation for how, how it has to be as well. Because, you know, it as a job of music would require hours and hours of rehearsal. It as a, uh, a pleasure, you can choose mm-hmm. how much you do and, and how good you are. And you only really need to meet your own standards, not the standards of other people. That's right. And I think we... It sounds cliche, but we are our own worst critic. And I find that nowadays with creating and enjoying and playing music, um, other people can see that you're enjoying it instead of it being sort of a stressful situation. And in turn, they enjoy it. So that's the sort of feedback I've I've um, gotten. So that's really helped me in shifting my attitude towards you know how how quote unquote perfect something needs to be. And I find letting that go and being able to enjoy playing again without that sort of pressure and to be able to just share in that 
um, in that enjoyment, in that music creating in concerts and things and attending concerts and performing concerts has just really um, added value both in my life. And I, I always wonder how much um, the love of something can overcome mm. the negatives. And again, this is this is coming from the perspective of that of the fact that in my work as as a GP, there have been moments that I have genuinely enjoyed, but it's always yes. been very fleeting because uh, I've because I've never loved the job enough to sort of go, okay, this mm. one crappy thing, no matter what mm-hmm. the size of it is, um, relative to the is is still too large compared to the good thing that I got. Um, yeah. And I guess f- for you, I don't know, maybe maybe even the hard parts you enjoy, but do you think passion is, is a really valuable part of it? I think so. And I think um, the attitude towards it, because I think the way I've always thought of my different jobs in my unconventional um career path is that I can either choose to enjoy it or I can let it sort of overwhelm me. I mean, obviously, that's it doesn't happen every day. There are definitely moments where I'm just thinking to myself, really? (laughs) Mm. Um, But I I try and make a conscious effort um, to hang on to the parts I like and that's sort of what I tell uh, law students and paralegals nowadays to say, well, what is it that you, we can all make choices? So, what is it that you're choosing to do with this? You, you can choose to enjoy it now, or you can you can say to yourself, "You, I hate this, but I I enjoy you know one little aspect of legal practice and um and and choose to make that a positive experience." But it's all very well to say that. Obviously, it doesn't. It's it's not. You know, it doesn't happen constantly every day. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah, so not it, – yeah, it can be quite difficult sometimes. I am. Um, th- yeah. So no, you go. No, I was, I was thinking then Then I hang on to the little nu- nuggets of victory or, or that smile um, from your client or that little thank you note from a student or a client to say, that really helped, or just really simple. Thank you for being there. Um, really, I just sort of hang on to those nuggets, <laughs> and which is which is a, a very positive way to think about it. Because I uh, so so um, uh, as I've said on this podcast, before, I work in mental health primarily, and mm-hmm. I, I fell into mental health. I didn't I didn't really choose it. I just kind of ended up getting told I was good at it and like okay, well let's yep. build on that. But one of the th- I remember speaking to another GP about. Um, Mm -hmm. who also worked in mental health. And the way she put it was Mm -hmm. that you have to, you have to accept that failure is part of the job, that you're not always going to make everyone better. Or even if you do make them better, that invariably they are always going to be at a higher risk of falling back into whatever mental illness they may experience. And so, and you can't, you can't take that personally because no. you it's it's not something you could have necessarily stopped and i i think when she said that she, mm-hmm. she I mean, and, and it was very sound advice i think yeah. it made me realize that 
I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I realized because mm-hmm. I, I am a results person. I like looking at yeah. results. I like things ending up a certain way. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, just uh, – and, and I, I – I feel for my patients. I do. I feel I, I, I mm-hmm. want them to be well. I don't want them to feel the way they do. And it just yeah. even it can holding be very draining. Stuff, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know. I, like, I guess, look, I, I, I must be projecting onto you because I imagine the community law. I mean, the, the hardships of people who, who, who would come to your service, who, you know, wouldn't be able to, who don't, aren't in a financial position to afford the high priced lawyer. That's um, right. They, I mean, that would sh- surely that that would be disheartening at, at times, of course, not constantly, but surely that'd be disheartening. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big problem, and it's something we often discuss amongst ourselves. The access to justice um, issue is just some some days it's really tough, and you become quite sort of uh, disappointed by how the system just works so poorly for people, especially people who are vulnerable. Um, and that's often something, well, as, as, a, as a young lawyer learned, I, I think with sort of lawyers and doctors, you sort of come into it thinking you're going to solve everyone's problems, don't you? Mm. To go, that's my job, you've presented me with a problem and I'm going to solve it. And over the years, and I still fall in that trap some days and I'll think to myself, well, if I could only just do X, Y, Z for this person, then maybe it'll be better. So it's often something I constantly reflect on. And, and exactly as you've just said, it's it, just because it looks better today, um, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, so I think it's really important and it's something I often tell the younger younger law students and the lawyers about to say, um, it's easy to take it personally because they place their trust in you and they think you're going to, going to be able to solve all their problems. Um, we can't take that personally. And it's I, I sort of tell myself as much as I tell them when I'm talking to them about it. And um, you, can, you can only do so much and we're all only human. Um, you also, it's, it's not our job. Our job is to present options for people to choose, not so much to tell them exactly what they do, they need to do. So a lot of the yeah, (laughs) that's right, that's right. So we have to reflect on that because just because we might think something might be in, might might be the best option for them, they might not think that. So that's that sort of is a cause for frustration a lot of the times, and then it's um. And then I have to constantly reflect on that to say, well, that's that's not my situation and my job was to present the scenarios. And one of the things I think community law is really positive is most, um, most practitioners practice in a holistic manner. So we know our limitations and at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a doctor. I've got legal options, but that's all I can do. And and in a in a holistic setting, if we're able to recognise um, how someone might be able to link in with uh, be linked in with other services, um, that might just make a little bit more difference as well. So I think recognising our limitations has really helped help to sort of reconcile some of those 
uh, feelings as well to go, well, I guess I can't, I'm not the person to be able to solve every single aspect of what this person's going through. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it's it's a it's it's interesting. It's a very similar mindset, uh, and I mm. guess um, it it is important to be able to set boundaries not 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 too necessarily to the client or the, to the patient, but set boundaries for yourself. Just That's to, right. Just to remind yourself that yes, as much as you may want to, you mm. you don't necessarily have the training or the emotional That's capacity right. or the to expertise. Be able, That's or the expertise right. to be able to, to deal with all of that. That's right. That's right. Um, so, um, yeah. We talked a bit earlier about, you know, future career. Do you anticipate or is it a possibility that you'll just stay in the same job for the rest of your life? I would love to if that's if that's a possibility. Um, community law is very dynamic and, as I've said before, it changes all the time. Different needs emerge. Um, different groups of people have different needs from time to time. So... So we're lucky in 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 terms of um, ha- have a lot of different challenges, and it's no two days are the same essentially. Um, and with sort of community legal education and advocacy work as well, um, advocacy and not in terms of um, having that time inside the courtroom, but identifying different aspects of law, the law that needs to change and advocating for that change, um, I think to me is just a very rewarding space to be in. And like I said before, the demands are just not the same as a private law firm. So you do have that work-life balance to be able to, I do have that to be able to pursue different things. I also really enjoy travelling. Um, so... Yeah, I, I hope to do this for a bit longer. <laughs> uh, just to finish off, uh, is there any is there anything that you've learnt now, having changed jobs multiple times, having worked within mm-hmm. on different sides of the legal system? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wish you'd known in law school or even before law school that, uh, yeah, that you know now? Yes, I think what I would say to somebody currently studying law or thinking about going into law is that there is it there isn't just that one pathway your law school might tell you commercial law private law is the way to go um, that is definitely not true and um, if you work hard and know where your passions are a non-conventional non-traditional pathway is just as fulfilling if not more fulfilling than had I gone any other direction. So uh, it's easy for us to say with the benefit of hindsight, um, don't stress, it'll all work out. <laughs> I don't think that's, that would have been, if I heard this 15 years ago, I, th- I think I would have scoffed at that. But um, it is actually true and that's often what I tell the younger um, law students to say. It might all seem stressful and hard now, um, but there are different pathways and I just wish I had the courage to talk to even more people when I was a student because I think having the label of um, I'm a student, I would like to learn, 
a lot of doors are open to people. So that's what I encourage people to do nowadays. Knock on the barrister's door, send this person an email if you're interested in their area of work, and just ask, what's the worst that could happen? They might say no, so what? And if they say yes, imagine the possibilities and the things that you could learn from it. So I wish I had had more courage to have done that when I was back at university. I mean, it's funny because I, I often think to myself the same thing about what would I want my mm. younger self to know? And the truth of the matter is I'm not sure my younger self was ready to listen. Um, That's true. Because yeah. I, 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 I do, I do um, student and GP, GP registrar education as well. And sometimes yeah. you can, I, because I can empathize with the situation, I, I can yes. see it. I can only see it now, but you're, you're only really focused on achieving then. You don't, you're not really thinking about your career going forward. You're not thinking, what do I want for my no. life? All you're really trying to do is get through. You're get through to, the next semester. <laughs> yeah, get through the next semester, sit the next, pass the next, next exam, get, right. get the right numbers, get the, you know, and it's so, it's so easy to forget that, it is not the end of the world. <laughs> like it's, it's... No, that's right. And I think a lot of people, the people listening and say, you know, like I'm third, of, third year through a different degree, I'm never going to make it or I'm ne- never going to achieve, get that dream of becoming a lawyer. Well, that's definitely not true. So for law, there are a lot of different options and pathways. People do it as an undergraduate degree. People do it as a postgraduate degree. There are ways of getting to where you want to be, if that indeed is what your passion, where your passion lies. Mm. Well, yeah. thanks for the conversation, Jen. I really appreciate it. It was a good insight into into law and, in particular, into community law, which is um, which is something uh, I, I know. I certainly I've always been curious about and the distinction between that and private law. So thank you. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed being uh, having this chat with you. Thank you very much. Great. So um, for all you listeners out there, if uh, if you like what you heard, please make sure you listen to our other podcasts. We've got plenty of other professions we explore, teaching, nursing, occupational therapy, librarian, all kinds of uh, interesting things that you, and then, you know, asking questions that you may have thought to us, but never had an opportunity to. Um, so make sure that you follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you do have questions uh, about our guest, I can certainly try and answer them or find a way to answer them because, um, you know, it's important to be curious. It's important to ask the questions and, and want to know more because that's certainly how I'm approaching my, uh, my life and certainly these conversations. Uh, all right. Tune in for the next episode. Uh, thanks for listening. And remember, there are no small jobs, only jobs you haven't discussed.